when you are operating HR in a silo and you're creating more work for your managers and your employees and you're not service oriented because HR is a service department. Your customer is employees. If you treat your customers poorly, you're going to have a bad outcome. Good morning, HR. I'm Mike Coffey, and this is the podcast where I talk to business leaders about bringing people together to create value for shareholders, customers, and the community. Please follow, rate, and review Good Morning HR wherever you get your podcast. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or at goodmorninghr.com. For most of my HR career, I've heard HR pros bemoan the fact that they don't have a seat at the table. But at the same time, I've seen other HR pros become trusted executive partners and leaders in both large and small organizations. So what does that latter group know that the former group doesn't? Well, joining me today to discuss what CEOs and other leaders want from HR is Jill Kube. Jill is the founder and owner of Energize HR, an HR consulting firm that focuses on training solutions, strategic HR, organization development, and human resource support. Jill has over 25 years of strategic HR experience, helping hundreds of businesses with their people strategy needs. Welcome to Good Morning HR, Jill. Thank you, Mike. So let's get straight to it. When you're working on people strategy issues with senior leaders, what do they say they want from their people management process? Well, Mike, they they really want a partner that's going to understand the business and help solve the problem, bring some creative out-of-the-box solutions, be able to leverage resources and help them move the company forward. I guess the, you know a lot of HR folks I talk to want to do that or they want to, you know, but how do you get the credibility to even be able to engage in those conversations? Because especially in small or growing organizations, the person in the HR role may be really tied into the business or they may not, but they often got into HR by accident. They were transactional. They were admin admin clerical. They got stuck with payroll. The next thing they had to do benefits and then, oh, we need an employee handbook. And so one thing after the other and and the next thing, oh yeah, okay, now you're the HR manager or you're the, you know, we're going to make you the HR leader. And, but they're still seeing as strictly transactional. And I mean, trans, getting the, the transactional stuff, the basic HR compliance and transact, that's table stakes, right? We've got to do that part. But how do you get beyond that tab A and slot A or that traditional you know, transactional HR role to the point where you can really have a conversation with leadership about you know, how, how best to leverage, you know, your workforce to make the help the company succeed? Yeah, I think first, HR needs to really understand the problems their company is facing. Sometimes we just look at what's trending in HR, in our own department, in our own industry. But to really be a partner, they have to understand their company's issues, their company's growth their company's people problems and address those with solutions to the owner. And part of that is talking to 
other parts of the organization, getting out of the HR silo, building relationships. And I think there's, for a, a lot of HR folks who aren't in, you know, aren't in that that kind of relationship yet, gives them liver quiver. I mean, you know, they, you know, uh, you know, are they going to take me seriously? And there's a lot of, you know, there's a certain amount of, you know, if you're going to be honest for, uh, especially for an emerging HR leader, a certain amount of fake it till you make it right. Uh, you know, you know, I'm going to go have this conversation and just see what happens. What would it that you have that tell that HR person who's, you know, needs to understand the organization, how to really get into the nitty gritty. Yeah. So, um, really being able to read a PNL, being able to have those conversations with each of the department heads to understand their business unit, their problems, really working with them to help make their jobs easier and then moving, gradually moving up. Every time that you do a job description, really understand that job. Make it a an agreement between the manager and the employee where they use it as a strategic tool. That the, it's not just a complicated HR document. Simplify it. Make management's life easier, not more complex. Really, your customer understanding that your customer are the employees and servicing your customers all the way up to the CEO and addressing their issues. It's it's those small incremental shifts in that administrivia to moving more strategic. Yeah, let's talk, let's use that job description example because I think that's a really good one. Um, we beat managers up. You've got to write your job description. You've got to get this, you know, I need these, I need your five bullet points, I need this and this, so we can put it in a file someplace. Uh, and they feel like, it's a waste of their time. So how do you make that, have that conversation to, with that, that frontline manager or that supervisor who, you know, sees this as tedium that HR is foisting on us to protect us in litigation? Uh, how do you get from that to where this is a tool we can use for accountability and to really make that employment relationship work? Yeah, well, first of all, you need to get buy-in from the HR leader to understand that it's more of a, than just a compliance document. It's more than just to be able to use if, if somebody's out on workers' comp and you have to look at the ADA requirements. Um, it's more than just a checkbox item. This is a management tool. What is the number one thing that employees complain about? They don't know what I do all day. Or they have no idea how much work I'm doing. And the management has no idea what that employee does and doesn't know if they're an essential part of the team. So what a, a, a job description does is it clarifies that. Now, that's not something, a task that HR should give to the manager. It's something that they should facilitate. They should have a meeting with a manager and the employee do the intake, the, the HR person does the heavy lifting, and then they facilitate that expectation document between a manager and employee. That makes a shift and that creates a fan of not only that manager, but that employee. And you've absolutely impacted the organization from a simple task of creating a job description. Which most of us after a few years could do in our sleep, but I think too often people are waiting on 
just to be given the content and let me format it a certain way. But we know what they ought to have in them, uh, you, you know. And but we we I think what you're that, that sitting down and partnering with the manager and the employee and getting a, a tool that oh I didn't really realize that your job took you know half your day was doing these three tasks that aren't even in the old job description or whatever uh, and. So, you know, setting accountability. Here's how we're going to measure performance and those kinds of things. Exactly. So, yeah. So, and you could probably do that throughout all your HR tasks, right? I mean, everything you do in HR, there's a reason for it. And we've often forgotten the reason. Um, and um, s- strictly compliance is usually not the best answer. Exactly. Uh, performance reviews are another area. You know, we, we, put a rating scale on these performance reviews. We pull them off the internet or, or, or a SHRM website. And we, to be a strategic HR partner, it's really saying, okay, how can this performance document not be a dreaded annual task? How can we train our leaders to use a performance tool where it really coaches the employee and the employee feels that they're being developed, not judged. That is a shift in thinking that's more strategic and that directly impacts the bottom line. That impacts productivity and that impacts employee engagement. And that is a strategic way of looking at it. Yeah, because performance management, if we do that just once a year, uh, if I, you know, if the feedback, you know, okay, well, I'm going to sit down right now and and do your performance assessment because HR is making me do it. It's not helpful. It's not real time. It's not helping. You you know, I may have nine months of frustration with an employee. And if I haven't, as the supervisor, given them feedback, uh, now HR is making me do this. And now it's all squishy. And I don't remember everything of that. You know, I just know I'm annoyed with them. And so I'm going to have a recency bias about the last three things they did that that annoyed me. Or the last three things on the flip side, they not, they've been a subpar employee, but the last three things they did thrilled me. And so they're going to get a great review now. And mm-hmm. so rather than just giving feedback on a, on a consistent basis, and a lot of managers don't know how to do that. So HR sitting down and saying, okay, here's, you know, how do you, how do you measure success in this job? What are the numbers? What are the metrics? What are those objective things? And how are you, you know, how are you giving feedback on an ongoing basis? Uh, and, and, and employees love that. And I, I know in our experience and anecdotally from other employees the, the, or other clients, the millennials, the youngest generation of workforce love that, that constant feedback. They want to know all the time where they, where they stand. And if you, if I don't think you're going to, you know, affect turnover or engagement or anything, if they're not getting that information. Absolutely. Absolutely. They, they want to be developed. We have an enormous skill gap that is, is in America today in our businesses. One thing HR needs to do is identify where those skill gaps are and provide some supplemental training, development opportunities, but also to pair um, and train their managers to be mentors and coaches to their employees. Yeah, and and looking at the organizations, you know, different departments, and they've all got their own strategies that may or may not be aligned also with the organization strategy. But I think if HR can help those managers feel success, those leaders feel successful in each of their areas, 
and know that probably in most of those groups, the biggest single line item they have is people as far as the, their, their expense. And, you know, if they feel like we're, we're maximizing our investment or we're cutting down our turnover so I can have more productive employees because we're not constantly turning people over. Uh, those are things that, uh, organization, you know, organizations benefit from and gives HR a certain amount of credibility. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and two, hiring talent and retaining talent is, is such a value add to, to the company. And, uh, I know we use recruiters, we have ATS systems, but if we don't really understand the jobs, and understand our culture, we're going to have that turnover. We're not going to find the right talent that's going to be engaged and want to help the company grow. So I encourage all HR professionals out there to work in a department, if it, even if it's shadowing for a part-time, to understand, to see the challenges that management is going through so that when they're asking managers to do something, they have a certain level of empathy and they're like, hmm. Can I make this easier for them? That's another job HR needs to do. Just, yeah, just uh, we've got to realize that in most organizations, we have somebody who's a high performer in a department. And when a management role comes up, we put them in that role and has nothing to do with their qualifications to be a manager or a supervisor uh, or the skill sets that they have. And we throw them in those roles and Nobody is going to intervene and say, okay, we need to develop this person's soft skills. We need to develop this person's ability to incentivize and motivate employees. We, you know, they, and we just kind of throw them in there and they do kind of what they've seen done, which is often subpar anyway. So HR coming in alongside that manager and saying, okay, well, welcome to this role. And here's the kind of things that you should probably know. And here's how we can help you become the kind of manager you would want to work for. And that'll help your employees thrive. Yeah. And, and if you do have a lot of high-performing individual contributors being promoted into a leadership role, um, developing a leadership academy or a leadership training, bringing in an outside expert um, leveraging different um, avenues to get your leaders to be effective, that is not only going to help improve their leadership, but it's going to help retention. The number one, one of the number one reasons people leave companies is that they leave managers. So it's imperative that you develop your, your leaders and HR, you know, Sometimes they, we in HR worry about the expense, but this is where you go to the, the leadership team and you say, listen, this is the cost, but for us to curtail our, our turnover, to increase engagement, um, to stop some of the issues we have in our organization, we need to get our leadership trained and up to speed to be more effective. And it's worth the cost. The ROI is there. And and I think a lot of HR folks, when they're confronted with the, the prospect of bringing an outside consultant in, uh, makes them nervous, and and they resist. They're you know sometimes resistant to that. But 
that's that may be the most valuable thing you can do. I mean, because let's we've all we've all got you know a handful of you know hours in every day, and um, so and like even in my organization, we uh, my number two is working with Debbie Wagner, who's been a guest on the podcast, and you know I'm the guy who thinks I you know I know how to coach, and they've seen me coach them, and and uh, and you know, but having sometimes having the, you know, the outside person come in, bring a different set of tools and, 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 you know, quite honestly, a different credibility set. Cause sometimes the prophet has no honor in their own country. And we just have to admit that. Uh, and, um, put me, you know, giving those managers, those resources only benefits HR. It doesn't, it doesn't, you know, having somebody come in from the outside doesn't minimize HR. It shows, Hey, I'm part of a, a network and I can bring these tools to bear where we need them. And sometimes HR delivers them and sometimes somebody else does. And that's what, that's, you know, that's what, uh, you know, your organization does for, for employers. And so um, talk a little bit about that higher level when we're trying to really look at the, the overall organization's strategy uh, and figure out where HR can make a difference there. What what kind of things should the HR leader be looking at? Yeah, so I think for, for the HR leader to be truly a strategic partner, you need to look not only at um, what the objectives are, but you also have to look at timeline too. You, you have to look at quality, impact, and timeline um, for, for some of the initiatives. We can all do everything ourselves. Should we? No, because it, we're ineffective if we try and do it. It may be two years down the road before we get all of the important things done. So if we're trying to make some impact in a short amount of time, it's important to look at, okay, what do I need to use an outside service for? What do I need to um, hire an additional headcount temporarily? Um, what can I offshore? What can I use a gig worker for? What can I use a platform for? What can I hire a business for to achieve the results that you're trying to achieve? That's what top leaders do. They don't do the work themselves. They say, how can I achieve the results, have the highest impact with the lowest effort and achieve all these objectives? What is the ROI? Instead of strictly just looking at the expense, they need to look at the return. And I think that when we talk about HR numbers, the return can get kind of fuzzy. I mean, like you know, look at the numbers we see for uh, the cost of turnover. You know, for replacing one position, you see everything from forty thousand dollars to two hundred and ten thousand uh, dollars. So it, when you're talking, of, if I'm the HR leader and I'm looking at, okay. Uh, you know, we, we want to do this initiative. How do I justify the cost? And we say ROI, the return on that investment. What kind of things ought we be considering when we're trying to figure out what that ROI really is? Yeah. So this is where understanding your business comes into play. For example, if you're making widgets and you have high turnover in your widget production department, and you're having quality issues and customer issues, then that is probably a direct result from the talent turning over. 
and not gaining traction. Now, is that measured? No, that's really observational in understanding the business. I can't uh, understate that. You have to understand where the business's problems are because that's usually associated with the people problems. Does that make sense? Yeah. And you mentioned earlier, understanding a P&L and uh, a lot of HR folks kind of, except for the comp folks, glaze over when when they see a P&L or uh, any any kind of uh, financial metric. But I think that's that's critical, but also being able to uh, really dive in deeper and and correlate, you know, turnover to what what you know to line items and you know and understand what at the organization's other KPIs are. So Absolutely. much of the time, those KPIs are driven by people, even though they don't look like K, you know people driven KPIs. Yeah, Re- revenue could be one. Mm-hmm. Um, you could have revenue directly associated with the fact that you've lost two top performing salespeople. Uh, and so understanding that that is priority. Look, our, our projected sales are dropping significantly. This is not about expense. It's about lost opportunity. And that is where HR really understanding the full picture is going to make a difference in their solutions and their problem solving. Yeah, and if organizations are, you know, are measuring customer satisfaction or net promoter score, if our net promoter score as an organization is going down, you know, that may be because, you know, the service isn't delivered as as well as the client wants, but really that's a people problem. You know, at some point, uh, you know, and it may be a management problem. And it's, you know, sometimes we have to call out the management problems, too. It's not always just the front line not doing their job. Sometimes we've, you know, we've got a, we've got a deficiency in, in leadership and we need to figure that out. Or a training deficiency. Yeah. You know, what, what kind of customer service? We need to focus on um, high touch customer service training so it's consistent across the board. Bob's department is doing great, but Tommy's department is 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 a negative. So what are we doing differently? HR can create consistency. They can shadow Bob and say, "Hey, we need to take what Bob's doing and and make sure that we're doing it across all departments and put a training depart- uh, program together." And let's take a quick break. Good morning, HR is brought to you by Imperative Premium Background Checks with fast and friendly service. In the United States, there's no such thing as a nationwide criminal history database that has any level of accuracy. Heck, even the FBI's database of criminal records is highly unreliable. It's one of the reasons we often hear about someone who shouldn't legally be able to purchase a gun, doing it anyway after passing an FBI background check. For that matter, most states don't even have a complete record of criminal convictions that happened in their own state. For example, we ran everyone on Texas death row through the Texas Department of Public Safety's criminal records database. And that database was missing a third of the people on death row. Now, the good news is those people aren't applying for jobs. But we know from our own files that DPS is missing at least a third of all the criminal convictions we find in courthouses across the state. And most other states aren't any more reliable. Many employers are buying a criminal record background check called a national or nationwide criminal search. 
Basically, this is a private database of criminal records downloaded from states and counties across the country. But because not all jurisdictions make their criminal history available for download, including whole states like California and New York, and like Texas, many states' databases are woefully incomplete, these so-called national databases often miss a third or half of the available criminal records. But many employers still rely on these national databases, not realizing how incomplete they really are. At Imperative, we focus on delivering our clients the most thorough and reliable criminal history information available. That means we don't cut any corners. On our website, we have a series of six simple questions you should ask your screening partner in order to understand how they conduct research and to identify where they may be cutting corners. You can review those questions and Imperative's answers to them at imperativeinfo.com questions. If you're an HRCI or SHRM certified professional, this episode of Good Morning HR has been pre-approved for one half hour of recertification credit. To obtain the recertification information, visit goodmorninghr.com and click on Research Credits. Then select episode, can you believe it, 99 and enter the keyword strategy. That's S-T-R-A-T-E-G-Y. And now back to my conversation with Jill Koob. And so often the HR falls into the trap of just being transactional and it gets in the way of the organization's success because this is what we decided we're going to measure. This is what we've decided we're going to, you know, how we're going to operate. And um, some HR departments still have that attitude that the first answer is no. And, uh, and uh, that's not how we do it here. I've, I've got a client right now that, uh, you know, is dealing with that, that kind of HR culture and they're probably going to have to turn over a lot of their HR department in order to fix it because, you know, they've got those, those are the personality, you know, HR is the little general uh, or the policeman. And so, uh, you know, if that's the focus, it's, it, it makes it hard for HR to be really, you know, be responsive to the, uh, you know, organization's needs. Absolutely. And they're making life harder. They're not helping the business. They're hurting the business. When you are operating HR in a silo and you're creating more work for your managers and your employees and you're not service-oriented because HR is a service department. Your customer is employees. If you treat your customers poorly, you're going to have a bad outcome. Right. So... Yeah, and let's well let's talk about that because that's a debate that happens sometimes. Is HR's job to advocate for employees or advocate for the organization? So a good HR person is not going to be known as the, you know, they're just going to do whatever management says or do whatever em- employee says, but they're really the facilitator to do what's in the best interest of all parties. Um, they're not, you do have employees or HR people that are like, I'm, I'm defending the employee at all costs, or I'm defending management. I'm a yes person. I'm going to turn a blind eye um, and let them get away with something that is going to be 
you know, very negative and probably put the company in the news later on. So being able to have that conversation with the leadership to say, you know, when we make this decision or when you make this decision, you're sending a message. You may be saving money by terminating this employee, but you're sending a message to the rest of the employees. And this is not aligned with our values. And so this may cost us more in the long run. So have being able to have those conversations with, with leadership to say, let's look at what, what the best interest of, of, of the company and of the situation. You know, sometimes the employee, it's not in the favor of the employee. Sometimes it's not going to be in the favor of, of the company. It's what's in the, what's the right decision here. And if it's not in the right interest of the company, that's usually only very short term, right? I mean, that's the exactly. problem is what we really, you know, the, if, if the organization has goals and, uh, you know, we've got a five-year target and, you know, we know what we wanted to accomplish this year, often the things that we feel pressure as HR people to accommodate, that's really just bad management, you know, or bad leadership style, um, you know, we're hurting the organization by allowing those things to go on. I mean, you know, we're we're making the organization less productive. And, uh, and you know, one of my mantras in HR has long been, I am your risk advisor, but from that frontline supervisor up to the CEO, those are the risk managers. Those are the ones making decisions on a daily basis about how people are selected, incentivized, promoted, rewarded, punished. Uh, coached, all those things. We need to give them the tools, put them in their hands, show them how to use them. But, you know, uh, you know, the real rubber meets the road in that manager-employee relationship. Absolutely. And we need to focus in on making th- them successful there. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But I, I do agree with you. Um, having a manager in place that is a tyrant or not living the company values and just turning a blind eye, or we all know that high performing sales rep that acts poorly (laughs) and violates every policy we have. You're sending a message. You're sending our, our values don't really mean anything. Well, yeah, the values we've got on, we've all, there's two sets of values in these, or some of these organizations, right? Mm-hmm. There's the values that are on, you know, the signs and the posters and all of that. Then there's the the things that re- the organization really values. And what we reward is what we value. And what we pay for is what we value. And yeah. who we promote shows who we, we value. Um, mm-hmm. And who we protect sometimes is who we value. So, uh, yeah. and, and employees know that. They may not be able to articulate it as clear, but they have know it in their gut. And uh, eagles don't fly with turkeys, and so there, the, you'll lose your best uh, when when they see that disconnect. Yeah, and 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 being able to articulate that to leadership, you know, I know they're great, but you don't want to lose another employee over this. The cost is too great. And let's think long term here. I mean, what is mm-hmm. this going to cost us over five years in turnover or? Even in, you know, you talk about the salesperson who's, you know, seems to be a high performing salesperson. So we let them get away with all kinds of stuff. But they're probably also the salesperson who's over committing operations, who, who's telling the clients, oh, yeah, we can do that because they want to close that deal. 
and then and they're putting operations in chaos uh, for timelines and delivery and uh, and and they're probably not operating as a as a great team member in their sales organization and, and they're creating a toxic environment there so that your other good well, good producing salespeople maybe with higher levels of integrity aren't feeling as as appreciated or or successful and they're going to move on yes and and i'm sure you've seen this too mike where you have the 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 tyrant employee the really employee with all the knowledge and history of the company how we can't let him go because what are we going to do the, the company's going to fall apart without him but when you finally make that decision and pull the trigger, everybody pulls in and it's just like a, a sigh of relief. Things operate wonderfully after that, that uh, change has been made. So as we, as we wrap up, let's say I'm a new HR person coming into an organization and um, I wanna build credibility and I want to be successful and a, and, a, and, a, and a key contributor to the organization's success, what would you suggest that my first 90 days look like? I would say sitting with each of the, the management team to understand what their challenges are and what their needs are, what they want from you, what would make their life easier. You are doing that intake for that first 90 days, understanding the operations, understanding how you can add value, and then put your plan together. Making your plan without that essential intake, you're going to give them things they don't want or don't need. Right. So, so I would say that would be your critical first step. You know, early in my career, uh, I had a, I, I took a new role as in a leadership uh, role in an organization in a smaller organization, and just walking through, you see all these things that need to be fixed, and I'm I think I made a, a significant mistake there uh, because I did just jump in and start fixing things, and they needed to be fixed. But I hadn't earned the credibility. I hadn't uh, spent the time with my peers uh, or uh, the senior management to, you know, from what they saw was well, coffee's coming in here and just telling us everything we've ever done is wrong. Mm -hmm. And and I kind of, you know, I was younger and cockier and all, I had all my hair. But, you know, that was part of the, <laughs> you know, the reality of, of, of learning to do that. And I think had I spent my first 90 days really focused on understanding the rest of the organization and and how we get things done right now. How do we want to get things done? Um, and, you know, what what the rest of the senior team's priorities were would have made a giant difference in, in how I first landed in that role. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, um, any last thoughts for that that HR leader uh, or emerging HR leader who really wants to to be seen as a contributor and really wants to add value to the organization? Yeah, I I would say again, look at how you can add value that they want. Sometimes we create things that we think are cool or projects that we think are cool, but they're not needed. They're not going to have a great impact on the organization and they don't want that. 
So really look at ways that you can add value for things that they need. Yeah, that's interesting you say it that way because I was having a conversation a few weeks ago with someone and they said, well, I feel like I need to be more strategic in my role, as in my HR role. What are some st- strategic things I could do? And I'm like, well, that's re- really kind of the wrong question, uh, you know, by, because there are a lot of things that seem strategic-y uh, that you could go do, <laughs> but they may not be the right things for your organization. And you need to, you know, you need to understand uh, what the what the organization needs and where you can leverage your little bit of effort that you can put into that for the maximum benefit of the organization. And that means, like you said, talking to the peers, understanding the financials, looking at where the, the company's projections are, where they, you know, where are we off target, uh, what are our challenges in, in getting to be where we want to be. And, uh, and it's just strategic, st- strategery for the sake of strategery is not uh, necessarily the way to go. Yeah, absolutely. I would also say looking at um, partners internally and externally uh, and, and platforms to help you accomplish your goals. Don't you're not a hero trying to get it all done yourself. Um, saving money should not be the, the first objective. It should always be in there. You should do it with the, the, the best value um, solution, but it shouldn't be the cheaper solution because that's not always the best. Right. And uh, yeah, that's uh, we see that a lot because, you know, HR is a cost center is what we, you know, and I would argue that a good HR department's not a cost center. Maybe it is on P&L, but if you can really measure, okay, we've implemented these programs, we've reduced turnover, and this is what turnover was costing us, or we've we've done this training and now we're, you know, our customer service scores are up or our quality numbers in production have gone up since we implemented this, this hiring procedure or a time to fail. I mean, our, our ability to meet our customers' expectations because we're fully staffed mm-hmm. uh, is improved. Those are, that's a cost center. You know, HR is a cost center, but the uh, the value we're returning for that cost uh, should be pretty obvious if we're doing it well. Absolutely. And HR being able to influence I want to say sell to the leadership team, but to influence and, and to communicate that looking at it as employees as expenses and not as investments is a mistake. Right. These are investments. We need to take them seriously. And what we put into that is going to help get a return on our investment. So being able to calculate, this is why numbers are so important, being, being able to calculate calculate your productivity, which is your employee expense burden uh, over your revenue score and what what your productivity is on developing widgets and and uh, customer satisfaction, employee satisfaction and customer satisfaction are often tied together. All those things in uh, net promoter score, I, I, I think you know, both on the customer side, but also an NPS on, on your own employees, that tells you exactly where you stand. And, uh, you know, do you have people who are raving fanatics and giant promoters of the organization or are they neutral, which is not a good sign, or are they detractors? That's a big red flag. 
And, uh, and I think, uh, you know, we need that, those kind of measures because they're objective and they're not just the suggestion box that, you know, that people know, okay, I'm going to put something in the suggestion box. You should have that feedback system. There ought to be a system where people can raise their hand and say, Hey, this is something, but then they need to see something happen when they do it. And that's, I think another big role for HR to be, make sure the organization is responsive to the employee's needs and concerns, uh, or at the very least understands what's driving those concerns and, and maybe do education around, well, this is our industry and this is what we do. And that's why this job is only going to pay X dollars because, you know, but mm-hmm. the next level of position has these skill sets. And if you can develop these skill sets, you know, we'll help you and you can get to that next level of position. Absolutely. I absolutely feel that HR should be the top communicator in the organization and communicate in multitudes of ways so that the employees are well-informed, that they're excited about working there, that they're partnering with HR's partnering with the leadership team um, to make sure that there is a positive message and that communication is high, especially in chaotic times like we just went through with the pandemic, um, but also in good times and, and get people excited so that you can continue that momentum. Well, Jill, thank you. That's all the time we have today, but I really appreciate you joining me on Good Morning HR. Thank you. And thank you for listening. You can comment on this episode or search our previous episodes at goodmorninghr.com or on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. And don't forget to follow us wherever you get your podcast. Rob Upchurch is our technical producer, and you can reach him at robmakespods.com. And thank you to Imperative's marketing coordinator, Marianne Hernandez, who keeps the trains running on time. And I'm Mike Coffey. As always, don't hesitate to reach out if I can be of service to you personally or professionally. I'll see you next week. And until then, be well, do good, and keep your chin up.